Hello, hello. Welcome to the Think Podcast. In today's episode, I have a very special guest. Her name is Kayla Steinberg. Kayla Steinberg is also a friend. She goes to Wash U too. She was gone last semester when I did a bunch of other episodes, but she is back. I and have come back from Land of the Kilts. Come back from what is Land of the Kilts? Scotland. Just, Scotland. I don't think that's actually a, a nickname for it, but but I can coin it whatever I'd like because I've been there five months and now I know everything, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know everything. After five months, like I've touched a Highland cow, so I'm just saying I'm just gonna put that out there for the world. Um yep. <laughs> I'm I'm speechless. I don't even know how to respond. I don't think I'll ever reach that level of touching a Highland cow. I don't even know what a Highland cow is, but it sounds important. They they they're also known as hairy coos. Basically they just have like they're cows, but they're called coos because it's Scotland. Um, and then they just have like really long, usually brown fur. Um, and I would say they're the national animal of Scotland, but it's actually not. The unicorn is. Anyways, they just look fantastic and funny. And if you go into a gift shop in Scotland, you'll find these little like hairy cow things on sale and you should buy them. I will. That's my advice. If I'm ever in Scotland and <laughs> I need a gift... I will buy them. Anyways, so back from Scotland, as you can see, very excited. Yep. Um, she is involved at Hillel on campus, figure skating. She's part of a sorority and she's a peer tutor at the writing center. That's great. And yeah, I got it right this time. And <laughs> on that note, she is also over this summer, we are in the summer, she is interning at the Jewish Light, which is a Jewish publication here in St. Louis, and at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is the largest St. Louis newspaper. And so that's what we're going to talk about because I find that very interesting. All right. Although, as a side note, she was doing awesome things this summer too, <laughs> interning at Schnucks, witnessing and being part of the world's largest pineapple display. Yes. Also an important thing, and maybe we'll find time to, to chat about that too. But but back to journalism for a moment. <laughs> I, I, think, I think now's a good time. So yeah, I was part of the largest pineapple display in <laughs> the world, 19,450 pineapples. Hmm. It's, it was crazy. I was excited. How did you feel being being just one among that number of pineapples? One among the... Are you comparing me to the pineapple? <laughs> was I one of those 19,000? Um, I mean... It was, it was weird being around my fellow pineapples. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a little strange. But after a while, you know, you get used to and realize you're all just pineapples at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was very cool. We did a display in, in, in one of the stores. Um mm. It was very nice. Uh, but yeah, now we're going to go back to journalism. So <laughs> news media, that is the hottest topic. So it's not is the it? news. A lot of <laughs> topics are about the news media companies because now today we have access to all the news we want from Twitter, Facebook, and other social media platforms and the internet. This but true. you work at a print news media company, which I think is even more interesting. 
And the reason I find that interesting is because there is this sentiment that news media is dying in the print format, right? If you have it available way easier on the internet or on Twitter even at a lot faster pace, what, what do you think is like happening? What is their conversations at your newspapers about it or even your personal opinion? Yeah, so this is definitely a good topic because it is something that we talk about the two different organizations and I'm going to treat them differently for the sake of this podcast because they are different and they, they're totally different format papers and, and they deserve separate attention. Um, so talking about the St. Louis Post-Dispatch per- first, that's a paper that's been around, I don't know if it's 100 years or more than that. I think it's probably somewhere around there because um, St. Louis is is an older city in the U.S. Um, and it used to be huge, right? Like it had a giant circulation, a huge staff, um, and especially in the last five years, they really cut down that staff. They have taken out entire departments of the paper, including the copy editing department. Um, Technically, they have no more copy editors um, or no one with just that as their title. And they farmed out the design to um, sort of like their parent company, but there are no designers in the location. Um, And in every department, there's been shrinkage. Like there are fewer people who have to do more work um, to keep the paper running and it's not reaching as many households as it did back in the day because of the advent of the digital age and probably because of other factors too. But I feel like that's definitely, you know, a significant catalyst in the decline of print. Um, And so like, often people will say print is dead. And I feel like with papers such as the Post-Dispatch that could end up becoming a reality because they do have, you know, significant online views. And um, with those online articles, the paper gets some benefits, right? Like, they can still advertise online just as they would in the paper. You can view it from anywhere as long as you have the particular subscription. Um, And also, the paper can get metrics on how many people are reading certain articles or clicks or whatever. So that online media is definitely beneficial for the paper as well. Um, Meanwhile, I feel like the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, as a paper that strives to serve the broader community, um, it doesn't have, like, one particular audience where that person would just, like, love the paper. If anything, there are people, in my opinion, who, who love certain sections of the paper. Like, I interviewed someone for an at-home article. Um, these at-home articles are when a reporter and a photographer will go into someone's home. They'll submit their own home. Um, we'll rock around the home and, like we'll talk about the home and its history and then whatever. Um, And so this woman said that she just loves the at-home articles and that's why she submitted her own. So you have people like that, right, where they just love a particular section of the paper. Um, And especially with the at-homes where the photos are a really big part of that and it's cool to see them in print. I feel like maybe those sort of specialty sections could maybe survive a bit longer, but I don't know, especially with hard news, whether even getting the paper out the next day for a daily paper like the Post-Dispatch is is quick enough. You know, like, people want to have their information immediately. 
Now, the St. Louis Jewish light, on the other hand, is a totally different story. The light, while it can serve anyone, primarily serves Jews in the St. Louis area. Um, and I think because it's serving one specific community, there's a lot closer connection between um, the readers of the paper and the people working for the paper, right? Like, oftentimes someone will know who they're writing the story about. It's not really the case where, like, people you talk to are total strangers. And even if, even if it is someone you don't know, like, there's probably just one or two links between the two of you. Um, and so... I think because it's sort of a paper that serves a particular community, it's valued a lot more by its specific audience. And the light actually switched to a free paper model in the last year, I think. And because of that, it's been getting more and more subscriptions because people can receive the paper for free. It's also... Um, I don't know the exact business model or link, but it's underneath the the Jewish Federation. There's some sort of link between that, and that's how it's able to survive as well as through do donations. Um, and so it's just like an entirely different business model where you're not relying on people to pay for the print paper, and so people are more willing to get it, and it feels like you're getting the paper from other members of your community and you're seeing other members of your community in the paper probably a lot of them whom you know and um and so it's just a, an entirely different thing and so I realize this is a very long-winded answer but I I feel like these specialty papers are probably going to survive a lot longer um than the than the daily papers um and so I guess I guess that's sort of my perspective on, on what it takes to be a successful print paper um, now and in the near future. But what do you think, Shua? I think I think you hit on m multiple points, is that the large um, kind of citywide, you know, the Post-Dispatch is more mainstream and therefore it doesn't reach as many audiences because mainstream media is a lot more available. Mm -hmm. And therefore there are specific segments, the new segments that will reach certain people. Whereas the Jewish light is more of articles you can't really get anywhere else for the, exactly. for the most part. Um, and therefore, it's a lot more relevant. It's a lot closer to the people. And therefore, there's a lot more likelihood that it'll survive longer. Yeah. Um, um, and I think that there is, there is a point to that. I think eventually it will all... <laughs> Um, you know, wind down a little bit more or find other models on the internet. Uh, that's what I predict. But I think it will be more of a very, very niche thing where you get the paper as more of like a tribute to history rather than actually getting the news. Oh, interesting. So like you're getting it as like, this is like historically, you know, how people got the paper. You kind of, it, it kind of will be like a lifestyle choice. So it'll be like maybe hipsters will start getting paper or like there will be a specific segment of people mm. that will just like getting papers as part of their lifestyle. And mm. they'll have that coffee with the paper <laughs> incorporated into their like, I guess, I don't know if it's like personal brand, but like their, their whole, yeah, part of their lifestyle. Do you think that we'll move to an even more paperless world? 
like right now we can sign forms electronically i can just like put in my kayla steinberg signature and send off a form without having to print it and go through all of that hassle and of course there are also environmental concerns with paper um so yeah do you think that that will keep happening more and more and that declining print papers will be a part of that uh yeah i think that's like gonna be evident but i mean there there is there's a a, a a larger question here about you know will will the culture around paper decline because you know paper itself yes you know signing documents yes for sure you know you now that you sign documents without paper and you don't really need paper but for like cultural things like newspapers surrounding you know there there is something about paper like books you know print books i don't right. i don't think print books will necessarily die out in the near future uh, just because you can get them digitally because there is a cultural element to it versus like signing documents still probably very, very large, you know, contracts or very important high level big deals or whatever, you know, you're signing on. You probably will still need some sort of paper signature. So like. do you sort of feel like people, paper will be a specialty item like if 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 something is printed out that means it's like worth something extra because they took the time to to make a copy that you can hold in your hand yeah i think so and i think what you'll see is maybe you know and this may be interesting like businesses come out with like very high quality paper i heard mm -hmm. a weird thing about like hemp paper being like Ooh. incredibly stronger and like more durable so it won't just be like how because right now what happens is is the cheapest paper you can get is the best right because you just want large quantities you're using it as kind of a commodity but once it becomes a valuable product there's going to be like niche kind of paper makers and then you'll know you'll sign it on this very high quality paper and it will be more valuable yeah um as is which i think will be an interesting shift um, in in kind of how we view paper. And I think we've seen that a lot kind of in, I think a good example of paper's decline, I think movies would be hmm. a sort of somewhat example we can draw from how in so? the sense that you know, when movies started developing into like, you know, more features and like 3D models, it was it was kind of a large shift. Um, and people were saying like 3D is gonna what's gonna take over 4D, you know, in 10 years, we're gonna get 4D. And that never really happened because there was a cultural element to going to the movie theater. And so movie theaters today are not that much different than they were, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Do you think that that's a fair comparison or would you say how 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 would you see the decline in paper kind of unfolding i don't know i haven't i truly haven't considered the cultural aspect of the decline in paper so much in my life um but i think that's definitely a plausible explanation um i also wonder whether like we've grown up with paper in that like my family would get the newspaper 
every week or every day even I, I forget exactly how much we got the paper and then as time went on we would get the paper less and less like maybe we got the daily paper when I was five and then when I was 15 we only had like the Sunday paper and, and just one particular paper rather than multiple because you know I can get the the newspaper to my email or or see it on social media or other things um, and so I guess I'm just want, I'm thinking about like because I sort of grew up with paper I think I'll still want it like when I receive the the newspaper in the office I get really excited to see you know my name in print and other people's names in print and when they get the paper they freak out because it's just like cool to have that in your hands um, and even people without a connection to the particular articles, I think, I think there's something special about it, but I wonder if the next generation will not have that special feeling of holding the paper because they're not exactly growing up with it being big, you know, mm -hmm. like if you grow up without it, then do you even know what you're missing out on? That's sort of my attitude to a lot of things in life. Like, I'm allergic to some foods, but because I've never really had them, I don't know what I'm missing out on. And so I feel like that could be the case with paper. Yeah, I think that's actually an interesting point. Um, that if you have that cultural idea of growing up with the paper, mm -hmm. you will get that dopamine rush kind of when you get that paper. Um, but my argument would be that there's so many outlets you can get that rush from. Like now people get excited when, you know, when you get that red dot on Facebook and that, you know, message on your phone mm -hmm. that the paper kind of coming is like a little bit dumbed down in a sense. And I feel like for me, when I grow up and I'm going to be looking for the news, it'll be a, a lot different. I think I will still have that connection to the paper, mm -hmm. but I don't think I'll ever order a subscription to it per se. I just, although I partially, we're in kind of a weird stage where we may have grown up with a little bit of the paper, but as we got older, we evolved to our phones and iPads, computers, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious what how valuable the content is in the paper so if for example there's a very niche paper that would say we're not doing anything online and anything you copy will be you know we will sue you mm -hmm. majorly sue you mm -hmm. and therefore most of their stuff is on print and it's very high quality content you can't get anywhere else so it's not breaking news maybe it's I don't know. It's a newspaper about voice recording systems, you know, and, and it's very, it's <laughs> very been helpful tonight. <laughs> it would have been, been helpful. It's, it's, it's okay. But, um, that, that, that I could see as a possible market mm -hmm. for papers. And I think papers like the wall street journal, for example, and the economist that their content is very, very good. So it's not synonymous with all the other, newspapers it's very much breaking story high quality content in which i think it's mostly still monetized by print paper um the economist is by like, ads as well ads to yeah for sure ads but also their paper subscriptions i think are 
still very, very popular because it's very thorough, high quality content. Not to say that any other paper is not, but if you're writing an article about the same story in multiple newspapers, then the value kind of shrinks mm -hmm. versus if you have, you know, brand new stories that are like very long and thought through. Um, obviously, all articles are thought through, but a lot of times you see repetition and these mm -hmm. are non-repetitive. Yeah. Um, I think this sort of connects to my comparison earlier of of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and, and what they try to do versus the St. Louis Jewish Light and what I think will survive um, not just this year but in in the coming decades. And I think the content really does matter, not just whether it's high quality but whether it's unique and also whether it's breaking news versus features content or sports or, or the puzzles or something else um, or obituaries. Um, that's actually, believe it or not, the most popular section of the St. Louis Jewish Light. Oh, um, and it's because people peruse the newspaper and they like to see who from their own community, because it's, it's a tighter community in St. Louis, who has passed or, or whose family member or friend has passed. Um, and so I think the content really does matter because if it's unique to, to your particular area, if it's a community you're part of, um, or just something you can't really get anywhere else, I think that increases the value. And what I also think increases the value is the fact that it's it's not the breaking news type thing, that it's a features thing that you might not have considered before, you might not have looked it up. For example, the cover story for the paper this week um, is about a penny that was ultimately worth like $7,000 or maybe 7 million. I realize there's a big difference. I think it's 7,000. Anyway, like that's not something I would have looked up online and been like, wow, how much could a penny go for in life? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that sort of features content is what people would continue to like getting in the mail as opposed to that breaking news content where it's not breaking news really if it's the the next day um if you could instead get it on your phone within a minute yeah. you know um yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's a good point and i think ultimately what we are saying is and we're both agreeing is that the features and the unique content are what are going to drive yeah. the industry yes um so moving on from there so you personally working in you know this field um where do you see like do you see yourself ever working in a news media outlet like this a print paper in the long term we're asking the most stressful question right now. Uh, there are other <laughs> stressful questions, but that's up there in my life as a rising senior in college. Um, you know, I went into this summer hoping that I would be able to answer that question. Like, do I want to work for, for a paper that has print and online? Because um, there probably aren't that many papers that are just print at this point. And, or do I want to work for some other company that has to do with communications or, or writing or media more broadly or do I want to totally pick a different career path just like do comps I no I wouldn't I, whatever <laughs> I'm not going to totally rule it out but it's probably not my strongest point in life um 
yeah. Anyways, I went into the summer hoping that I would be able to answer that question, and I think I'm on the path to answering that. I've just had the best time at my internships. Um, I feel like, especially at the light, I don't think that paper is, is dead. I feel like it's very much still alive that the community does enjoy getting the paper in the mail. And I know that because they'll call the office and they'll say how much they enjoyed reading, reading the article and they see it first in print. Um, the way the light works is they want their their print advertisers to get the most bang for their buck. And so the paper comes out in print on Thursdays and then on Fridays, the content starts to go up online. Um, and so I can totally get behind that sort of system. I think that pretty much all aspects of the paper process, whether it be like the editorial team with writing the content or the design team or and layout, um, the copy editing, the, the advertising. I think all of that's really fascinating. And despite cries that print is dead, I think that in some places it really still is alive. Um, at places like the Post-Dispatch also, I've had a really good time. I haven't been able to see them work with um, other parts of the paper so much in terms of like I mostly deal with people who are writing and not people who are who are doing um design or ads or anything like that but but I I could see myself doing this however I know that it's a really difficult field to go into right now because first of all there's not a ton of money in it and second of all there's just so much uncertainty with what will survive and what will not like both of us can can predict and prophesize like what will stay alive in the coming years and what won't but we could be totally off like maybe there will be a major world event that changes stuff or or we'll just move in a different direction as a society um but yeah anyways I think I'll pursue it I'm just feeling a little stressed right now <laughs> okay well yeah. I I didn't I did not mean to stress it's okay you, Shua I but... understand <laughs> the stress just <laughs> <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it's okay it's okay um yeah and re really what what i was touching on and what you kind of moved into was how do you, do you see careers in, you know being inside how do you see future careers kind of evolving mm -hmm. and you know you spoke to the model and again it really goes with the industry um what you'll do in there yeah um, one thing i want to add is that i feel in recent years only online papers have cropped up a ton where it's like they don't even need to have all kinds of credentials right like it can just be you know I'm thinking of a lot of like papers or organizations that try to get college students and millennials to write for little or no money online and just like spread the content and and be a social influencer in that way and i feel like right now a lot of that content is getting read um and sometimes often it's considered clickbait and and there started there's some backlash against it of course and i'm wondering whether we'll sort of continue to trend towards that direction of online content that's not necessarily well researched it, it very may well be right like there are a bunch of reputable organizations that just have online content and then there are a bunch of rep 
a bunch of online organizations that don't have reputable content and it's not that great. Um, and so I wonder whether we'll start to criticize that less reputable content more and more and really start to value like the established papers that have been around for a while more more than we did before um or at least more than we are at this moment when we're mm -hmm. trending towards online um so that's just another thought i wanted to put out into the the void that's i think that's a good opening to a speaker i heard who spoke about content being king these days mm -hmm. because it used to be that platforms if you had the platform and the distribution then you had kind of that monopoly, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were the paper in St. Louis and you were sending to St. Louis, then you had kind of that monopoly. If you were in New York, you were in the New York Times and you were sending to New Yorkers, um, you know, your content didn't matter as much. It was mm -hmm. more the news, you know, it didn't matter. Your writing wasn't as important. Right. Um, and I think we see that with also with movie studios. It used to be that they were the ones publishing all the, you know, bringing out all the best movies and TV shows and because they had all the you know directors they had all the distribution they had uh, contracts with all the movie theaters but today what you see is that content is democratized so you don't need to have that distribution you can't have a monopoly based on you know region or control type of thing because content is everywhere mm -hmm. so and everybody can see it Mm -hmm. And so same thing with movies. Suddenly you had platforms like Netflix and Amazon Video and Hulu and all kinds of other original content being created. You know, on Twitter, it was Vine for a bit. YouTube is free. So anybody can have content that anybody sees. And so in this era, the argument was that the content matters a lot. Mm -hmm. So for a while, it was important to kind of get it out there. And there's a lot of competition on that but really the valuable reputable good articles that are really thought through mm -hmm. are going to be the ones that people seek because there's so much out there that they're going to need something they can trust right and i think that really speaks to your point um and i think we're seeing that with netflix coming out with tons of movies yeah that are sometimes better than the major studios amazon coming out with tv shows and movies you know everybody's looking for the best content and youtubers right. who are very successful are selling out or making tons of money mm -hmm. just for the content there's mm -hmm. nothing given to the distribution mm -hmm. and so i think that's part of the trend is that maybe it'll be very you know reputable newspapers or maybe other sources that can produce that great content and there are some that are, you know, obviously succeeding. Um, and the reputable newspapers, the large national ones, seem to be doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be the source for a lot of articles or at least the starter of the news cycle. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm interested to see if there will be any online ones that are going to be really reputable and just have better content than the large um, historic newspapers. Yeah, I mean, I am sure there are already all, already are online organizations that have really amazing content, right? Like, is Vox is Vox only online, or can you get the paper as well? I'm not. I think 100 it's only sure. online, but if I'm wrong, please, podcast listeners, don't judge me too hard. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so I feel like there definitely are organizations like that where their online content is great and they've started to build a name for themselves. But I think at this point, like, even if content is king, the organization also sort of matters. Um, and, and I really do think that as we, as time progresses, we'll, we'll start to continue, we'll start to value, um, the organization more and more as, um, since it's so easy to create content online right now and really just anyone, anyone can do it. And I think we'll be so inundated and so flooded with that, with that content that's not necessarily great that will will hopefully i mean i'm biased because i'm working <laughs> for some newspapers but sort of like go to the sources that we trust and i even think today people really do value you know particular sources they have a few sources that they they do trust um and i i think that if if organizations can build or maintain a name that they're reputable and trustworthy that will that will be really big especially in all this fake news hullabaloo like <laughs> like trustworthiness is huge these days you know yeah absolutely and people are looking and it's true people do still have the few sources they trust exactly um i think though social media is kind of skewing a lot of it mm -hmm. and so an interesting trend that's been kind of moving up is the companies or news media that are struggling um, putting out content that's less less good and more clickbait mm -hmm. oriented? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, I can't point out like specific ones, but I there can. are. Okay, <laughs> you can. So that's perfect. But but I, I've started seeing that a little bit more, mm -hmm. and it's been just a little frustrating. Right. Um, because it makes me not want to open them. But then again, other people will look at the brand and say like, oh, this is trustworthy. This must be good. Mm -hmm. And then they'll open it and start reading it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can give a pretty solid example of, of the sort of content you're talking about where you wouldn't open it because it seems sort of clickbaity. Um, before I started at Wash U, I had seen these articles on Facebook that some of my Facebook friends were sharing, um, written by them, but under the organization Odyssey, which is like an online media company that really um, hopes to attract millennials to write for it. Um, and these these people don't get a lot of pay for, for writing the articles. In fact, um, when I was initially roped into Odyssey, I didn't get paid for anything except for this one article I wrote that hit a certain number of views where then I could receive $25 for as compensation for my work. And I had been doing this organization for, for a year at that point. Um, but back to little senior in high school, Kayla, getting ready to start college. I just thought this organization seemed like the best thing ever because I'd be able to write. Um, and so I was immediately the editor editor in chief of its um washu chapter because there was no one else in the washu chapter i was starting it and i really didn't have much journalism or writing experience at all aside from like writing you know papers in high school or middle school or whatever for for like for my classes 
Um, but suddenly I was the editor in chief and I had to get a team of writers and make sure that they were creating content every week. That's what mattered that, that everyone was creating something each week, um, rather than it being good. And so, um, over time people were just churning out articles that weren't great, um, or they were not feeling good about their writing because they were having to write something each week and, and college brought its own pressures and they weren't even being paid for it. And so at the end of my senior year, or senior year, freshman year of college, I was feeling pretty pessimistic about the organization. And I ultimately decided to leave the WashU chapter in the summer. And when I left, everyone else also left. Wait, so um, but tell me a bit more about the content. Yeah. What, what, what were you actually writing? Exactly. This is, this is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the sorts of articles that I'm going to back up for a hot sec. Basically, as editor in chief, I had to speak with um, one of the managing editors in the New York City office like every every week or two I forget exactly how often it was it's been a minute since I since I did Odyssey but um, I had to speak with them at a fairly regular interval um, and one thing that that you listeners might find interesting is that there was turnover in these managing editors like every couple months I probably worked with like three or four people in in the nine months that I was doing Odyssey which is probably not a great sign for the organization um, but anyways so I would talk with them and they would recommend certain kinds of content like the listicles were really big articles and a listicle is the sort of article where you're like 15 things to do um, when you've joined a sorority um, and then it lists out those things and each one has a picture and then just like a little blurb um, and I'm not downing that kind of article at all like we've written some of those articles for the post-dispatch um, they call them slideshows and, and they can be really fun articles to read but for Odyssey when you have a bunch of fairly untrained writers who just entered college or, or they've been in college um, who don't have to go through any formal like or such a formal vetting process in order to get in and the emphasis is on the the quantity over the quality you get a lot of very clickbaity listicles and also just not great listicles like I was definitely um someone who didn't necessarily produce the best content at that time because it was just like so stressful to produce stuff every week and also edit other people's stuff every week um and so and and just in general I feel like the content was more on the superficial side though there definitely was some deep content for example that year freshman year of college I went to Poland with a Jewish organization and we went to a bunch of different concentration camps and each day I wrote an article about what that experience was like and ultimately I had a whole series of articles um, and to be honest, they didn't do that well online because, like, why would day six of someone's Poland adventure to concentration camps get you to click on the article? You know, like, it's, it was a very gruesome experience. And I tried to infuse morals into my writing, but ultimately, like, it's not a very um, clickable headline overall if you've got, like, a week of this. Um, what yeah. was... Who do they still publish is it still in their possession all the articles you wrote 
What do you mean in their possession? Like, do they still have it on their website? It's probably still searchable. Now okay. I've just like told told the world. That no, no, it's whatever. it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It, I mean, I'm just curious because whether they like take your content and just like keep it forever, and then they can like turn it out whenever they want. Okay. Anyways, um, I just, I'm just like. Where do I start? <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. So how did you go about researching these listicles? So if you were to write <laughs> an article saying, because I, I was one of those very, in high school, I would click on a lot of listicles and a lot mm. of articles that seem... They're very clickable. Very, they're very <laughs> clickable and they're very easy to think that they're giving you real content when they're not, which is my same critique of TED Talks. Um, it's easy to get fooled by them. And I can go wow. into that afterwards. But um, We feel differently about TED Talks, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll give you my take on TED Talks real quick. I think a lot of the speakers do have a lot of content. Mm -hmm. And they're very serious speakers. Uh, they've done a lot in their lives. But I think in... 10 or 15 minutes where the goal is not necessarily to transfer the most content it's to have the best presentation mm -hmm. i feel like mm -hmm. and i think their presentations are just phenomenal mm -hmm. but the actual amount of underlying content it could be very minimal so maybe it's like and i i get it that it's ideas worth sharing and therefore it's one idea or you know an idea and a half or a half-baked idea. I don't know. <laughs> One of those three. But, three and a quarter uh, cups of ideas. Three and a quarter <laughs> cups of ideas. <laughs> it's just some type of amount of idea that is there. I, I think it really doesn't give you all that much to walk away with. Mm -hmm. It may give you, you know, a touch or a taste. Mm -hmm. But I think that's similar to these articles that they give you a taste. So it could be that somebody... They're taking content because a lot of times, especially in the business newspapers, it's like they give you like touches from like Warren Buffett or like the greatest investor. And it's very mm -hmm. like clickbaity and you click on it. And the underlying stuff of it is of the content is incredibly valuable. And it's just mm -hmm. from the smartest people in the world. But they give you such a small taste. It's almost like lazy learning, I feel like. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, although that's kind of what I like about TED Talks, right? Like they can talk for 20 minutes about an interesting topic and then I can do research on my own afterwards. I don't feel like so much information is always being thrown at me. I can just like hold on to this, this one nugget afterwards and it'll stick with me. And then I can like do my own research if I, if I still think it's like super cool. Um, but I, but I sort of think that that TED Talk critique is a bit different from at least the way I critique the articles that I and uh, and so many other college students, high school students, whoever, are writing for that service clickbait on on our internets, on our on our social media, because I'll just mention like the article that that I did ultimately get the twenty five dollars for. Um, it was an article that I wrote right after I had joined a sorority and it was like 20 things every sorority girl knows or something like totally clickbaity like that um 
yeah, I think that's exactly what it was, except I, I'll, I'm probably off on the number. And I just brainstormed with my sweet mates because all of us had just joined different sororities. Um, we brainstormed just like things that sorority girls could know. And we didn't even know better because we had just joined sororities. Um, and then that went on the web and it did ridiculously well with like thousands of views and I don't even know the number. Once you get to a certain big number, like one big number versus another, what does it really matter? Anyways, I got $25, but I didn't feel great about the content. Um, and I feel differently about TED Talks. I feel like I'm learning something good there and I learned nothing from my own article about sororities. Um, and so, yeah, I realized that I'm throwing a lot at this organization that, that took me in right as I started college and gave me people to talk to, um, ultimately about journalism. And I did learn a lot from that experience. Um, and so I, I just want to say that, like, like it was really impactful for me to have that experience. And I do think that an organization with, with such, um, crowd appeal has potential like that with with higher quality articles but just this particular organization wasn't wasn't maximizing itself because it was getting people without without so much training um to churn out articles rather than putting putting the time and effort into something that would really be high quality um yeah. and that also connects to why i think that that the reputable papers will ultimately um live longer yeah uh two points all right. Very interesting. Um, the first one is is talking about TED Talks as an introduction to a topic. Okay. That that I can see as a a good kind of first step towards good content because it, it's all really underlying with underlined with real you know researched ideas. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely respect that. I have a hard time when the idea is boxed in this nice you know presentation and there's that's all you're getting because yeah. you're really just getting the best effort of presenting this idea the best sales pitch of the idea right and so you're not getting all, all the research and everything behind it and it's, mm -hmm. it's impossible to get everything but I, I just think there could be a lot more that needs to be said before moving from there another thing is is that when you're comparing it to clickbaity listicles as you call it i like that name now <laughs> um, it is what it is it's a yeah. list and it's an article <laughs> yeah i think that when there is underlying content mm -hmm. to the listicle so if it's you know 15 quotes that tell you something about i don't know motivation from the 15 richest people in the world mm -hmm. type of article i see that a lot in business journals right and so it is quotes from these great people, mm -hmm. but there's nothing, there is something behind it. Yeah. There's a lot more to it. You know, you can't get a sentence from the smartest guy in the world. He could be the smartest guy in the world. And there's something behind it. And the idea may be good or not, but mm -hmm. it, it's somewhat real versus, you know, articles that have no, nothing behind it. The mm -hmm. listicle is the listicle. It's, you know, 
the 10 morning habits I do that make me, you know, better at fitness at noon. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't see that He's as, working out at noon. <laughs> yeah, they're oddly specific all the time. <laughs> I don't really know what these... that actually was some of the advice we got to make it really specific. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like the 15 best, you know, car key, um, tricks, shapes. shapes that'll help you be more efficient in your breakfast. It's like what? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> those are those are a lot of a lot of the articles. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just want to go through like the 16 best tips you have for writing an article for the Post Dispatch and the Jewish Life. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Listicle article. Not, like to answer that question. What? <laughs> would not like to answer that question. I'm not writing a listicle right now. You're not going to write. I already have some to write for work. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but those are well researched. And that okay. is the difference. I think you're touching on that as well. Like, there's a difference between getting advice from the smartest guy in the world and getting advice from a freshman in college who doesn't know anything about the topic they're writing about. Um, yeah, yep. but if it is a topic that freshmen in college are relevant to freshman in college i think there could be good content but, oh yeah that's a totally different about, story like yeah if i'm a freshman writing about the freshman experience that's yeah. awesome yeah. because who could write about that better than a freshman in college or first year gotta first be pc um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um yeah i think that's a good place to stop all right um, i think we've really touched upon really the whole space of media and news and a little bit about your experience and opinions. Um, and the pineapples at Schnucks. And, and the pineapples at Schnucks. That was a bonus feature. And yes. Harry Coos. What? And the, the Highland Cows, Shua. Oh, yes. The we Highland Cows. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we've, we've gone through Scotland, St. Louis. <laughs> and come back to the U.S. And back to the U.S. And to national news media that spreads all over the world. Woo! So we've touched upon everything. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This was a very interesting one, and I hope you enjoy our next episodes. We have some exciting stuff coming up. Have a great day, and if you want to learn more uh, about my listicles, um, I have my next article is the 16 best ways of starting a podcast that can be recorded at 7 a.m. in St. Louis. <laughs> so please have a look at my article, click on it, because then I will feel better about myself. <laughs> All right.